You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Joker, which came out in 2019. It was directed by Todd Phillips. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Zazie Beetz, Robert De Niro, Francis Conroy, Brett Cullen, Shea Wiggum, Leigh Gill, Glenn Fleshler, Bill Camp, and Mark Marin. The genre would be psychological drama. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. What? If you smile to your fear and sorrow, smile, and maybe tomorrow you'll find Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Joker comes from a long-running tradition of tense character studies, mood pieces based on or around disturbed loners who are driven to sociopathic behavior, from taxi driver to falling down to fight club to one-hour photo. And what I found most shocking about this film when I first saw it, and even still today, is one, that so many in the entertainment media just went into full-on pearl-clutching mode in the lead-up to this film's release, as if this film was some sort of unique threat being perpetrated on a viewing public that was ill-prepared for how to react to it. And number two, even though it is directed by someone who gave us not one, but two of the most overrated and poorly-paced comedies, The Hangover and Old School, I know that's controversial, of recent years, it actually earns its place among those other classic films listed above. It is laser-focused on one character's story, and it does help that he's played by Joaquin Phoenix, who has always excelled at playing odd ducks, whether they are benevolent, like her, or sinister, like in Gladiator, or somewhat ambivalent, like in The Master. I found his story here haunting and sad. This is not someone who is being held up as a hero, or even really an anti-hero. He's just way too damaged a person to even experience his own narrative on a consistent basis, meaning he doesn't always have a grasp of reality. Hey, Murray. Thanks so much for having Hey, Murray. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a lifelong dream of mine. I'm nervous right now. I am Hey, Murray. I've been on... I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, that's very funny, Murray. You know, I'm also a comedian. Would you like to hear a joke? Yeah? All of you? Okay. 
And that's part of what makes this film stand out. Arthur Fleck, played by Phoenix, does not believe in anything, nor does he have any kind of end goal for what he really wants from life. He thinks he just wants people to be nicer to him. But he's so disconnected from reality that he can't even really register how that would manifest itself. Literally every moment of triumph that this character enjoys, whether earned or not, is extremely fleeting. He's constantly undercutting himself, whether it be from a laughing tick that he's lost control over, or from a distorted view of reality where he can't distinguish real-life instances from his daydreams. I said, for my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. They've cut our funding. We're closing down our offices next week. The city has cut funding across the board. Social services is part of that. This is the last time we'll be meeting. Okay. They don't give a shit about people like you, Arthur. And they really don't give a shit about people like me either. Whether this all sounds entertaining is highly subjective, but I just found myself completely absorbed by it. And it takes a strong director with a sure hand to manage this material. And to my surprise, Todd Phillips delivers on that front. This film is paced almost perfectly. And while it's structured in a very similar manner to Scorsese films like The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, both reviews coming soon, and Phillips made no bones about the fact that he was inspired by those films, it still finds its own unique voice. It feels like a film from the same universe as those Scorsese films, but told in an even more deliberate fashion. The film also looks and sounds fantastic. The cinematography by Lawrence Scher does a great job of portraying an early 80s Gotham, which is really New York City, of course, that is both dingy on the ground with garbage everywhere, because it's a garbage strike, and still strangely beautiful whenever the sun is shining down from a certain angle. And the rest of the cast do well, but most of them honestly are not given much to do. Robert De Niro, of course, makes the most of just a couple of select scenes featuring him as Murray Franklin, the Jerry Langford-like talk show host who Arthur Fleck idolizes, to a point. And Brett Cullen does a nice job of portraying a less idealized version of Thomas Wayne, who, of course, is the father of Bruce Wayne. Even as a Batman fan, you could still appreciate how this type of all-powerful master of industry in this particular world could come off to those less fortunate, in that they would feel more threatened than inspired by his efforts to galvanize them. And even though there were some points when I empathized with Arthur, I never found him to be portrayed as someone meant to, quote, inspire action, like a Travis Bickle or Tyler Durden. And I enjoyed living in this world for two hours, while still, of course, really wanting things to turn out better in the end. Well, let me get this straight. You think that killing those guys is funny? I do. And I'm tired of pretending it's not. Comedy is subjective, Murray. Isn't that what they say? All of you... The system that knows so much, you decide what's right or wrong the same way that you decide what's funny or not. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be best and worst needle drop. The best and worst song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. And I'm expanding the category because there's a prime example here of a bad needle drop. In fact, I have two major issues with this movie, and one of them is the choice of needle drops. The music chosen by Phillips that he chooses to dot the soundtrack with, it would have felt hackneyed and overused in a Scorsese film from even 20 years ago. And here it's just even worse. And this is never more egregious than during that now iconic moment of Arthur dancing down that long outdoor stairwell in full clown garb, kicking off the third act. It's an iconic image, and it really does look amazing. 
But the choice of such an overused, middle-of-the-road song like Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part 2 almost kills it. I mean, in all honesty, this might even be some personal bias on my part. I have heard that song used during so many sporting events to the point where I just cringe whenever listening to it now. I mean, come on, this was New York around 80, 81. Well, actually Gotham. Well, actually New York. I mean, they just had such a rich culture there. Would it kill a filmmaker like Phillips to maybe actually just once insert a catchy hit from that time and place, say the Talking Heads or the Misfits, that might give you a more distinct feeling, take you right there? But that said, the orchestral score from Icelandic composer Hildur Gutenendotter is next level and pretty much saves this scene. At the very least, Rock and Roll Part 2 transitions very seamlessly into her score by the time our protagonist is nearing the bottom of those stairs. And it's a fantastic moody score, with minimal melody, which beautifully sets the tone for this scene and the rest of the movie. The music is mostly cello-driven orchestration, with some guttural elements coming from the use of taiko drums throughout. Gudnadatter also deservedly won the Oscar for Best Original Score that year. For me, the musical highlight of this score actually occurs later in the film, though, after Arthur has been arrested following a violent incident at the Murray Franklin show. He is now being driven by the police to the nearest station to be arraigned. However, the streets are now filled with protesters, most of which are dressed as clowns. Yeah, that's what he helped inspire. They see him in the car, and they have an ambulance smash into the cop car, then pulling him out as he lays back on the hood of the car, pretty much knocked out. But when he wakes up, the crowd starts to go nuts. He realizes that they're cheering for him. He starts to slowly dance and smile. And once he realizes that his mouth is filled with blood, this is pretty ingenious. He then uses it to smear alongside outside his mouth. This is the official unveiling of the Joker, as we then see him reveal a giant, bloody red smile for the crowd. And the music really sells it. Of course, this track is titled, Call Me Joker. And now the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. And speaking of my issues with the film, my biggest issue with this film would be Zazie Beetz's Sophie character, who is portrayed as a potential romantic interest for Arthur. Now, Beetz is a strong actress, and she has really delivered some strong performances in recent years. 
in films like High Flying Bird and previous episode The Harder They Fall. She's fine in this role, but just very underutilized. And as the plot develops, we see her being used more as a plot device than an actual character. She doesn't even have much dialogue. And yet, if you haven't seen this... There is quite the twist regarding her character in the third act. Now, that twist actually works for me from a story standpoint, but at the same time, this character ends up being a waste of her particular talent. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, following up on that aforementioned iconic scene of Phoenix dancing and walking down in slow motion as he walks down those stairs, it actually leads into what I would consider the best sequence of the film, which is when we find Arthur being chased by two cops as he scrambles onto a crowded subway train just as it's leaving the station. His timing is fortuitous as these trains are packed with folks heading towards a large protest downtown. And wouldn't you know it, they're dressed like clowns. And many are actually wearing clown masks, no less. So just guess what Arthur does to blend in and evade the cops. He nabs one stranger's mask and then stealthily knocks one of the other passengers into another passenger, resulting in a brewing fight which is right when those two police officers catch up to him in the subway car. One of them pulls out their gun, accidentally shoots a bystander on the train, just making matters worse. The fight turns into a giant melee. Many folks from the crowd start to jump the cops, and then they spill out onto the platform at the next stop. We now see a massive crowd of folks kicking and beating those two police on the subway platform. But where's Arthur? Well, he's looking on, laughing, and then throwing his mask into the garbage. And then he does a little celebratory dance before gingerly walking away from this violent pylon, which he instigated. Now, this scene is just smack in the middle of several violent incidents, which Arthur is directly involved in during the last third of the film. But for me, it's the most cleverly shot, and it's the best example for how this character becomes a true agent of chaos which of course embodies the Joker. The next category and the final category would be the MVP. This is the person of people who are most responsible for the success of this film. After a series of stellar, idiosyncratic performances going back 19 years, Joaquin Phoenix had already earned his place among the elite actors in Hollywood. And as a result, the expectations for this movie were pretty high from the get-go, not only based upon his casting, but there was a long shadow cast from Heath Ledger's recent performance as the Joker in The Dark Knight, which earned Heath Ledger an Oscar. Portraying someone like the Joker, even an alternative version of this character, can be daunting. I mean, along the lines of playing someone like Hamlet. So did Phoenix pull it off? You bet he did. And even those who criticize and have issues with this movie all universally praise his performance. He ended up winning the Best Actor Oscar for his performance, marking only the second time in Oscar history that two different actors won Oscars for portraying the same character. The other example being both Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando both winning Oscars for playing Vito Corleone in Godfather Part 2 and Godfather 1, respectively. It's a great, unassailable performance of a very likely disturbed individual. And Phoenix is not always playing it for pathos. It's not often played for laughs, but it always feels distinctive and real. Have you seen what it's like out there, Murray? Do you ever actually leave the studio? Everybody just yells and screams at each other. Nobody's civil anymore. Nobody thinks what it's like to be the other guy. You think men like Thomas Wayne ever think what it's like to be someone like me? To be somebody but themselves, they don't. They think that we'll just sit there and take it like good little boys, that we won't werewolf and go wild. 
For putting his own impressive spin on an iconic character, Joaquin Phoenix is the MVP. My rating for Joker would be four and a quarter stars out of five. This film deserves to be seen by adults who just enjoy good storytelling. Now, does the film have its share of violence and nastiness? Well, yes, but those are necessities for the type of story that it's trying to tell. And they are never taken to the exploitive levels of, a, say, a Death Wish or a Rambo sequel. I highly recommend this, and I believe it to be among the best comic book adaptations to hit the big screen in recent years. And if you're looking to watch Joker, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another fun review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.